0: Good morning again. Take the Bible that you have either in your hands or on your cell phone or smartphone device and scroll or turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're in the middle of a teaching series through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, as we continue to walk through what it means to be fortified in our faith, we're going to deal with some specific deep heart issues um, this morning in verses 17 through 21. Now, if you've missed any of our our teachings or our time together in the last few weeks on First Peter want to kind of fill you in and catch you up. First Peter was written to a group of churches that weren't necessarily Jewish. In fact, they were Gentile in background. And so they'd come to Christ, established these churches, and along with that they had to deal with the echo of their pagan lifestyle. And as Peter writes to these churches, there is a flavor or a hint or the smell of persecution that's about to happen in the Roman Empire. And in that, he's telling these new Gentile Christians and churches to simply do this. We want you to live your life as exiles, and exile meaning your citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. Live your life as exiles and continue to trust God and do what he says. That's our theme. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 gives the theme of the entire book. And, and the point behind doing that is that as we attempt to live our life for God's glory, as we attempt to live our life in honoring Christ, as we attempt to live our life that demonstrates who God is and what we do, what we say, and what we trust, it's very challenging to do that because it seems like we're swimming upstream all the time. Y'all been there? And that's the point of the entire book. This church is about to deal with and endure incredible persecution because of their faith. You and I are not going to have to deal with this, at least not in our present day and age. But in order to live our life for Christ, it does feel like we're swimming upstream sometimes, right? It does feel like there's a difficulty, there's a pain that's involved in that. There's always challenges, there's always hills to overcome. If anybody told you that to follow Jesus is going to be the easiest, most uh, enjoyable road you've ever had, they lied, or they didn't understand the entirety of the gospel. There is hope, there is peace, there is joy, but it doesn't mean it's easy because of this one word, exile. You don't belong here. You belong at River Hills. (laughs) But on this planet, your citizenship, my citizenship, if you know Jesus, is elsewhere. Now with that in mind, understanding 1 Peter, specifically as we dive deep, starting in verse 17, we've learned a couple of things so far. First of all, to be in exile means our citizenship's in heaven to understand that we are to live for God and to trust Him in every way is the theme of the entire book. But to really flesh out those principles, there's two points that we've learned so far. First of all, live in hope, which means this. And You can jot this stuff down. This is catching you up. Live in hope means this. It means our salvation, if you know Christ, is based entirely on Him. Entirely on Him. It's not you. It's not me. It's not your preacher. It's not your granddad that followed Jesus. It's not your experience at youth camp, it's completely Jesus. Does that make sense to us? Everything, the entirety of the gospel points to Christ, including your salvation. So therefore, live in that hope. We also learn to live in holiness, meaning do the right thing. We have the empowerment behind us to do the right thing, to make the right choices, to do the right action steps and to live in a way that would honor Christ. And this morning we transition a little bit. Because we've dealt with living hope, we've dealt with the complexity of our salvation, and now we go into the whole concept of what does it mean to have that motivation to live for Christ. Because I don't know about you guys, I'm just speaking for me, but I bet you can relate. There are times in my spiritual journey where I'm just not motivated to do what God tells me to do. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, anybody else? I mean, there are times where I'm just like, I don't want to do nothing. I want to sit in my chair, watch football all day long, and eat Cheetos. And eat a lot of them and order in some McDonald's French fries and just send, 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 send. Y'all with me on that? And so, thinking through that, how do we find that motivation? How do we do that? The problem is, many of us find ourselves not motivated in our faith. Let's just, if, if you had to gauge your spiritual life from the moment you accepted Christ, many of us in this room have not progressed one inch, right? And maybe you know someone like that. They're a professing Christian, they go to church. They have that background, but they haven't progressed in their spiritual journey one inch. And I, I really think there's two reasons for that. And we're going to see a third one in just a moment. One of those reasons is there's some really bad teaching out there. There's some things that, that are out there that we cling to that just aren't biblical truth. The second thing is there's a really a lot of false assurance out there for Christians. Or let me, let me rephrase it: There's a lot of false assurance for churchgoers. Now, let's kind of contextualize that for 2019 in Winder, Georgia, and where you are, where I am. This is the South. Did y'all know that? Okay, good. Wait till July. You'll absolutely know that, right? Actually, this, this week has been a perfect example of living in the South, right? Arctic blast, and then yesterday I wanted to go swimming. Okay, welcome to Georgia, <laughs> right? Where the flu lives forever. And so, all that being said, is in our in our context, especially really if you go back we're twenty years, not so much now in the metro Atlanta, but but in our context a church being on every corner, everybody who grew up here had some taste of church growing up, right? You ate the stale cookies at Vacation Bible School. You walked the aisle to Just As I Am in a Billy Graham crusade. You went to youth camp. Maybe you were invited or pressured in, and all of us have had somebody knock on our door, right? This is the South. But just because it's a church culture doesn't mean it's a Christian culture. It just means you know about church. That's why I think this is my opinion, we are living in the most un-Christian segment of the United States. Why? Because we're so churched. You follow me on that? Because we're so churched. Everybody knows Jesus. And because we think that, because Grandma drug us to church, because some of you in this room were in church nine months before you were born, Thank you, know Christ, and therefore you live in a false assurance. Do you follow me on this? We live in this context of i got this bad teaching. It's bleeding out of my television. I've got this false assurance because I attend church on Christmas and Easter, or I love God, or I pray, or I have a God trust. I've st- I vote a certain. What? Listen to me. That doesn't mean you're Jesus follower. And because of those things, what happens is as you pursue Christ, as I pursue Christ, we find ourselves having a lack of motivation to be like Christ. Any of y'all with me on that? Any, can any of y'all relate to that? Let me illustrate it a little further. Yesterday we celebrated an incredible holiday, Groundhog Day, right? Groundhog Day, and and uh, it, when I say Groundhog Day, do any of y'all immediately think about Bill Murray? Is that just me? There's some people in this room, Groundhog all that stuff, but Groundhog Day, Punxsutawney Field, all that stuff. Um, the only significance to me about Groundhog Day is that it's my son's birthday. That's it for me, but uh, I just threw that in there. It has nothing to do with the story. Um, and so um, Groundhog Day derives the, the earliest written form or, or historical artifact about Groundhog Day. came from 1840. Uh, the, the, the Dutch who settled Pennsylvania celebrated something called Groundhog Day. It was really passed on from generations, I think, before that. But it's the whole concept of if a groundhog comes out of its tomb or whatever it is on February 2nd and sees its shadow, it's not a tomb, is it? It's a burrow, okay? (laughs) Tomb would mean the groundhog couldn't come out unless it was a Jesus groundhog, right? So I don't think they have a Savior. Here's the deal. Are we recording this one? By the way, we're about to start live streaming. I'm trying to all get my mess-ups out of the way right now, okay? Okay. that being said, let's get back on the illustration because this is important to talk about groundhogs. The groundhog comes out, and if he sees a shadow, it goes back in, we're gonna have winter for what, six more weeks? Is that right? But if he doesn't see a shadow, and I heard that didn't happen yesterday, it's gonna be an early spring, right? And I just want to just throw this at you because some of you guys are like, I love what nature and it's all organic, and we're gonna look at the farmer's almanac, neck, and it's gonna be great. And listen, you put your trust in a groundhog. That's a rat, all right? With all the meteorological technology, all the satellite capabilities, all the expertise from my meteorologist, they don't get it 50% of the time, right? And you're going to trust a rat. What's the point of that? Why am I talking about groundhogs? There's some false assurance and bad teaching. You with me? If you put that in the context of a Christian culture and a Christian perspective, Your whole faith is going to be based on something that's meaningless. You're not going to have motivation to move forward. So we're going to deal with two motivations about living out your faith, growing in your faith, doing right this morning. One you're going to absolutely love and one you're going to absolutely hate. And we're going to spend most of our time on the one you hate, okay? And if we really can grasp these, we're going to tie this up at the very end, making some specific challenges, okay? Okay? So let's kind of dive in. Let's start in verse 17 this morning. Notice what it says. Get this. Therefore, that was last week, verse 17. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners. Now, I want you to understand some things. Live out your time as foreigners points to the whole concept that you are exiles. Do you follow me on that? So as you live your life, understand this is not your home. Finding our motivation in that, when we have all this assurance that we're going to heaven one day, for some of us can be a bit demoralizing or stagnating. But you need to understand something as we prepare to give you these two motivations. The gospel is more than eternal assurance. Y'all with me on that? You need to write that down. You need to circle that in your brain cells and bring it to your mind all the time. The gospel is more an eternal assurance. And why we say that is that for so many of us, we take the gospel. We take the gospel and we grab it and we make a decision, and maybe we're baptized, maybe you're christened, maybe you with the confirmation, maybe you have a spiritual experience. You take that gospel and say, Thank you, Jesus. And that's it. Right? And now you've got fire insurance that is not salvation. You feel me? If that's the perspective of following Christ for you with all the Christian love I can muster this morning, wrong, wrong, wrong. If that's it, then God would not have written this book, established his church and put his spirit in your life. You follow me? So to get this assure, get to, to get this motivation Understanding we have eternal assurance means we have to find our motivation, number one, that there is fear involved in that. Now, this is what you're going to hate. Because we love to think of God as, as some wonderful, loving, compassionate, benevolent creator who had you in mind, right? That's the way we think of God, if I'm being real, right? Now, if we've had some dysfunction in our life or maybe we're struggling with Maybe we think of him as a a dictator or a tyrant. But in reality, what you've been taught your entire life is that God is love. That's true, but that's not all of it, right? That's completely true. Totally loving. But his nature and his character point to more than that. His nature and character point to something far greater than him just loving you. He loves you. But man, if that's all you get... You're missing the totality of what God has, and it is so much more beautiful. So much more beautiful. Now, notice what happens here. Let's go back to verse 17. Let's put that back up on the screen. I want you to see what happens. Since you call on a father, stop there. The word picture is simply this. When you call on a father, you're basically saying, and here's the imagery, here's the word picture, here's the Greek language behind it. He's saying this, is that when you're calling for help on the divine, you better be mindful of something. Now, we all do that. 100% of the people in this room have prayed today. I believe that. Maybe you prayed when Nate just prayed. Maybe you prayed that your kids would hurry up and get in the car. Maybe you prayed that you wouldn't smart off to your parents. Maybe, I bet you've prayed. I would be willing to bet everything on it. But here's the thing speaking to the divine for help, understand who you're talking to, all right? Because what it says here, since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, I really want you to focus in on that idea of judge, is that we have to understand something about God Himself. He is is a judge. Now, we don't like to think about Him as a judge, do we? Because I know I stand guilty most of the time. Do Do you? But He's a judge. Now, He's perfect. He's loving in that judgment. But that word judge literally means He's a condemner. Now, this is the part we hate. But yet, when we dive deep into this understanding of verse 17 and 18, this is where we find our motivation. God completely condemns all who sin. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever tried to stand in front of an authority figure, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a police officer, and try to give justification for what you've done wrong? And y'all ever done that before? I mean, all of us say yes, we have. I mean, all the time, man. I mean, I've gotten pulled. And it's like, Lord, I mean, I, I was... I was on my way to church, you know? And that was not positive. But notice, but notice this a little further here. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, I think starting in verse 7 or 8, I want you to notice the first justification. Get this. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Now here's the thing Adam and Eve had just eaten of the fruit, they'd sinned against God. They realized they'd sinned, and in their sin, they recognized that there were issues in their life. And it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid. Now, this has never happened before in the history of mankind at this point. There was always this perfect relationship between humanity and God. But once sin entered into the picture, there was shame. There was issues. There was something that wanted them to stay away. Is that how you react? Is that how I react when I sin? Absolutely when you sin, right? There's a hiding aspect. Now, go a little further. Go to verse 9. Notice this next part. But the Lord God said, where are you? I love this. Now, you can take this literally, which you probably should, or you can take this metaphorically, which would be kind of cool too. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? We're in the midst of our sin hiding from you, right? Then go a little further. Go to verse, go to verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was what? Afraid. Now, let's stop here. We're, just, we're not going any further. Here's the point. He goes on. Adam, and says, God asks him, Adam, why'd you do this? And his immediate response is, that woman you gave me made me eat it. That's basically what he said. The blame game started early, people. But if we dig a little further into this, I want you to understand. At the moment, at the moment of their sin, they hid from the Lord, and they tried to make justification, but they couldn't. Because they knew immediately they were dirty and they had sinned against God. If you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is standing there teaching, and some people come and bring a woman caught in adultery. And the rule in the Jewish culture was if a person is caught in adultery, specifically a woman, you're to kill her. So they bring her before Christ, and they're going to trick him because they know that Jesus is all about compassion. Jesus is all about forgiveness but he says he's going to disobey the law he's going to tell us uh you should love her anyway now he does he refutes them later on in this text he says let him who is without sin cast the first stone and so everybody evaporates because immediately everyone knew they had sin in their life but notice what happens in john chapter 7 verse 51 christ makes this uh, statement does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to do to find out What he has been doing. And the thing about a judge and the thing that Jesus is making this point and the thing that we've got to get in our brain as well is that when we stand before God, go back to 1 Peter chapter 17, and we call out to him, we have to recognize that he is a judge. And when we stand before him, we can't make any excuses because he knows. Right? He knows our issues. He gets you. He gets the fact that you've messed up. He he knows those secret sins you've told no one about. You ever thought about that? When you think you're hiding like Adam and Eve, you're going to be found out because there's two people that know, you and him. And to dig a little further, notice what happens in 1 Peter 1, verse 17. It says, not only is he a judge, He does it what? Impartially. Do you see that? That word impartial means he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care where you come from. He don't care who your daddy is. He doesn't care how many times you've been to church. He looks at you and is completely objective. Completely objective. And all of us stand condemned. So therefore live out your life. Notice what it says. In reverent what? Fear. So how does that help you grow? We're going to continue to hammer on this point. Go to the next verse. Get what he says here. Verse 18. For you know that it is not with the perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed. Now stop. Going back to verse 17. Our God that we call out to is completely perfect and has every reason to condemn you, He does it impartially. However, However, if you know Christ, he's redeemed you. And this is not a redemption that somebody has purchased for you. This is a redemption based upon the blood of Jesus. Okay? Now, this is what's important about this moment in the text. Notice what it says there in verse 18 again. Do You see that? Not with imperishable things like silver and gold. If you know Christ, you were bought with something that is not going to have an expiration date. That's the blood of Christ. Well, Chip, why do you say that? Because he went into the tomb dead, he defeated sin and death, and he comes out alive, and he's alive today. If it's not for that, then there is no faith. His blood is eternal. You follow me on that? Now, breaking it out a little further. I know we're getting nerded out here, but I really want you to hang in here with me for a moment. The reason he goes back to verse 17, let's go back there, and he says, live your life out with reverent fear. There's twofold here. One the nature of God is to condemn you. But two, when you know Christ, He has redeemed you. So therefore, fear Him. Never take your salvation for granted, it is entirely precious. Never take your God for granted. This is not a flippant God that we yell up to and say, Hey, Dad. No, this is God. You approach Him as one who has the power power to take you out but lets you live it's a healthy fear some of you are like well that's not this doesn't fit with my theology Chip. this doesn't fit with my way of thinking in my church background because i've always been told, god is love even even those of you who may be investigating christ i've always been told god loves you god loves you god loves you listen to me. he does we're gonna get to that in a moment but the motivation for the believer to follow christ is a healthy fear of who the lord is And in that that fear of who the Lord is, understand me, as a Christian, there are things you should fear. You with me? Let's let's just go, go through a few. You ready? Consequences to sin are still a reality for those of us who know Jesus. When you do something wrong, there's a consequence behind it. You're not going to hell, but understand something. When you do something wrong, when I do something wrong, it affects you and people around you. You follow me on that? That's just truth. The blessing is there, or it's not there. That's of something we should fear. But even more than that, as we kind of just kind of deal with this as a whole, understand that living for Christ is the proof that you know Jesus. It's the evidence of your faith. And so to fear the Lord is much like a bridge over the Grand Canyon. You've seen pictures of this bridge. Uh, we're planning, hopefully, God willing, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon this summer. I hope, hope we get to see this, but this a uh, glass bridge that goes out in a U-shape over the Grand Canyon. Have y'all seen pictures of this thing? Uh, gl- Let me just say this again. I want to get this in your brain. Even if you haven't seen pictures of it, Google it later. I know you can right now, but stay focused. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. A glass bridge over the Grand Canyon. Did y'all hear that? Hundreds, thousands of people have walked out on this bridge and looked down three to 5,000 feet over the Grand Canyon. Now, logically, that just gives me the ippie Does that do you? I'm mean, whoo, yo, no, no, no. There's two things that's not logical in life, flying in an airplane and walking on glass bridges. Are y'all with me on this? You walk over this, logically, you're going to be okay. Why? Thousands of people have walked on it before you. Now, some of you are like, but I could be that one you could. You could be that one. You're absolutely right. You could have been the person that saw the alien. You could have been the person that got struck by lightning. You could have been that. Yes, but probability wise, there is a one in $8 billion shot for you to win the lottery and for that glass to break. So ain't none of y'all won. At least it didn't reflect in your giving statement. So here's the thing. We go on this glass bridge. You feel me on this? We go on this glass bridge You're okay, but that's fearful, is it not? That's a healthy fear. That's something God put inside of you. Don't step off the edge. You're going to die. That's fear. But at the same time, it's awe, isn't it? At the same time, it's incredible. That's the fear the Lord brings. The problem for many of us in this room is the motivation to live out for Christ. Even though there was that fear at one time, it's much like your first car. You Remember that car? You bought it, and every day you only go to certain gas stations and fill it with gas, or maybe you kept it clean. Y'all remember when your car was clean? You know what I'm talking about? I don't. Uh, You vacuumed it out. You washed it. All those types of things. You took care of that car, but a year later, you're like, man, that piece of junk. You know what I mean? That is not your salvation. The Bible says you're being made new every day. Every day you're being made new. Right now, even though your body is wasting away, your spirit, your soul, Christ is making you new. Isn't that good? And so fear him. And let the character and the nature of who God is, the fact that he can condemn you and does not, drive you spiritually. I was a terrible baseball player. Played all the minor league baseball stuff, the t ball stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe your kids have done it. I'm sure some of you in here, many of you have. You know, first there was the, you put it on the tee and you hit it, then the coach pitch thing. And uh, then you, you really got skilled and you would throw it at each other. And, man, I could not catch. I can't throw from third base to first, even now. I mean, I couldn't hit the ball. And I was fast. So, my thing is, when I'd get up to bat, I would, I would hope for two things. I mean, I'd pray for t- this is praying to a God for help at that moment. I am praying, Lord, let the ball hit me. Yes, I prayed for that. Or walk. You know what I mean? And if, in, in that day and age, you know, when a fifth grader's pitching to you, you've got a good chance to walk. So, I just wouldn't even swing. And I'd get my base on balls, and I'd try to steal every base, and that's how I would score. Now, here's the deal my dad was the coach of the team. And I, me and my dad have a great relationship even to this day. But, man, I didn't want to disappoint him. I did not want to disappoint my dad. He's my dad. Even if he was in the stands, I want to make him proud, right? That's, that's really the drive behind. Even if your dad was completely dysfunctional, you still want to make your parents proud or make them upset because they didn't stay around, stay around long enough, right? I want to make him proud. And, man, I stunk. In fact, the last time I stood up to hit the baseball in an organized league, I struck out. I have to live with that every day, y'all. Therapy. But here's the thing. I, wanted, I didn't want to disappoint my dad. But my dad never stopped loving me when I did. Does that make sense? See, fear plays an incredible role and your motivation to live for him. But your next motivation, this is one you're going to like, is love. There's a great amount of love that Christ has demonstrated to us. There's a profound amount of love. And it's not just saying God loves you. We believe that. Or God loved you to death because he died and he rose from the dead. It goes way beyond that. Way beyond that. We haven't even scratched the surface. If that's as far as you're, you've gotten and how far and how much God loves you, man, I want we're going to push you in the deep end for just a few minutes here. Let's go back to verse 18. Notice what it says. It says this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. And notice what it says. Redeemed from what? The empty ways of a life handed down to you from your ancestors. Now listen, I, I, I value my, my family tree I value understanding my lineage I, I don't know if you do I've done all the ancestry stuff I've, I've spit in the test tube and sent it off and they have sent my results back and genetically I'm the whitest person you've ever met okay I, I, I value understanding those things even when they've messed up I mean I've done my family tree and I, I, on certain sides of my family and I'm like I don't want anybody to ever know about this you know if my church found out I'd be fired just for being related to these people these are crazy messed up people right I mean, I value that stuff, and I I value the things and the life lessons I've been taught. But like the people Peter's writing to, like many of us in this room, what we've been taught, a lot of it's just hollow and empty. It is not good. I mean, it could be the religion or the church you went to. It could be a way of thinking. It could be a plethora of things. But understand, if it's not the gospel, it's not truth. And Christ redeemed you from that. And the depth of his redemption, let's read it a little further. Go to verse 19. It says this. It said, um, let's go back to verse 18. For you, um, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, which is eternal, a lamb without blemish or defect. And now get this. Here you see the depth of God's love. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times, for what? What does that say? For what? Okay, I want you to go back to verse 20. Read that whole thing. Read it, read it in your brain with me. He was chosen before what, when? The creation of the world. Do you see that? And then revealed when and for who? At this present time, for who? For you. Now, there's a fear that God can condemn. But there's a reality when you know Him. His love for you goes beyond, way beyond just saying God is love. His love for you goes way beyond just saying, "Man, I love love God." It goes way beyond just singing these words. It goes way beyond that. His love for you is saying, "Before God invented time, put that in your brain cell for a moment. Let it churn. You hear that? Before God invented time itself, He chose Christ Himself." to lay his life down because he knew we were going to mess up. He knew that in his character, he had, to, he had to condemn us. But before time began, he said, Jesus will die, take the punishment that they deserve, rise from the dead, and I will not have to purchase them by, imper- by perishable things like silver and gold, but I will take the eternal blood of Christ, smather it on them, and say, you are mine. You see the love of God there? The motivation is the character and the nature of God that there is fear, but also the motivation, number two, is that there is incredible love that goes way beyond just saying God loves you. It goes way beyond that. So how do we begin to take this, wrap it up, and make serious application? Let's go to verse 21. Our motivation is being fear and motivation is being love. Understand what he says next. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. Stay on that verse for a moment. I want you to Let's just kind of marinate in this for a second. Through him you believe. Him meaning Jesus. Who do you believe in? God. You follow me through that? Now I want you to notice the next part. What did God do? He raised Christ from the dead and then he glorified him. How does that translate? There's a lot of stuff in that, those, those seven words there. But what I want you to understand here is that your belief system, if it's in Christ, is based way beyond just what you do. And it's way, way beyond just the fact that God loves you. It's based on the reality that God's power majestically worked on your behalf before time was even created that he would not have to condemn you because that's what his character calls for, but he would get to redeem you. And that redemption is so powerful and is illustrated in the reality that Christ was raised from the dead after he was stoned dead and then he was glorified so that when we look at him, we see hope. Do you see that? you see the motivation now? Fear and love. They partner together. And the natural effect is this. And so your faith... And faith is incredibly translated as confidence. And your hope are in God, not you. So therefore, therefore, let your confidence, let your confidence change from the thing seen to the thing unseen, which is Christ. And let your hope be certain that if God can raise a dead man from the grave, and establish your salvation before time began, you're going to be okay. You with me on that? You're going to be okay. So I'm going to give you two action steps. This is your homework, all right? As we kind of wrap this up this morning, here's your two action steps. This morning, some of you are here, and you're like, I'm hurting, or I've got these issues in my life, or I've got some things I need to do. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's a question you ask yourself, and you can write down the answer on your sermon notes guide there on your phone or on your worship folder. What changes do you need to make? Okay, I just asked that question, and some of you said, boy, that's a hundred things, at least, within 30 seconds, right? I want you to pick one or two things. You know what they are. You know what's most pressing in your life. I mean, it's like I'm not going to cuss at work. You know, that could be something. Change, you know, I'm not going to be lazy around the house anymore. Or I'm not going to, you know, it could be a million different things. But here's the deal. What changes need to be made in your life? You know that they're there, right? You are a follower of Christ. You are empowered to make this happen. Go back to verse 21. How do I know I'm empowered to make this happen, Chip? Here's how. Verse 21 says that the God that's in you had the power to raise Jesus from the dead and then glorify him, and so therefore there is your confidence. You see that? So make the change. What changes need to be made in your life? Write them down. Begin to activate that faith and do it. You with me? Number two, here's your next action step, and this is not going to apply to everyone here. But here's what I want you to think through and the question I want you to ask. What hope needs to be grasped in your life? Now, here's where we're going to kind of, we're just going to have a little meeting here for a 2nd and just powwow this, okay? And I really, this is where everybody in this room, just dive deep here for me and begin to pull back the layers of your heart. Let's go all the way back to the beginning when I started. And we discussed what it meant, like some of these issues that we have because we grow up in a church culture. Many of us have assurances that aren't necessarily biblical or we have some bad teachings. Do you all remember that at the very beginning? And because of that, many of us in this room have a false salvation. Now, let me help you understand. The reason some of us have been struggling is because we never knew Christ. You know church. You know about Christ. But you've never asked him truly to come into your life. It hasn't changed you. The proof is not in the pudding. And we continue to keep our own spirituality on a spin cycle. Y'all with me on this? But here's what Peter is communicating to these churches who have the smell of persecution, who are trying to swim upstream in their exiles. He's saying this, your hope has to be in Jesus. It cannot be in your church. It cannot be in your pastor. It cannot be in your home life. It cannot be in an experience that felt good. It has to be in Jesus. What I want to challenge you for some of us in this room to peel back the layers to and maybe tear away some pride here is let your eternity be certain I'm not saying. Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Listen to me. Hash that out with you and the Lord. I'll sit down and talk with you. But understand, some of us in this room know for certain. And we're just clinging to this reality that, man, I had a spiritual experience, and I'm not going to forsake that. Oh, man. Go back to what it said that it redeemed you from in verse 18. The empty, shallow teaching of our ancestors, right? Some of you are there. Let's just be honest. Let your hope be fully grasped, and let your hope be in Christ. For those of you who know Jesus, what changes need to be made? You know what they are? I know what mine are. What hope needs to be grasped for some of us in this room? about stirring around a minute for a minute, take the connect card you were given in just a few minutes. This is how we're going to do this this morning. Take the connect card you were given, and on that connect card, there are several boxes. One says, "I need to know Jesus." Check that box if that's you. If you need to grasp hope, others of you need to be baptized. Maybe you haven't taken that step and said, "I'm publicly going to say I'm a Christian." For others of you, you need to take some steps. You're a Christian, but man, I need to be baptized, or maybe I need to be uh, get a life group. I need to make some changes. Maybe I need some counsel. Maybe I need to talk with a pastor. Take that step. For some of you, you're like, "I don't want to fill this out because it, this is such a this is let's, let's just be honest. This is such a close thing to you, and almost and I want to say pride thing, but man, you don't anybody want to see you turn in that card, right? Let's just be real with each other. Some of us are like that. I'm going to give you another option here. I'm going to personally give you my cell phone number. You can text me at any time. Tell me, Chip, I need to talk to you about what it means to know Christ. We'll throw that up on the screen. Write it down. Put it in your phone. If I don't answer, it's because I don't have your number, but I will get back with you. Unless I don't really like you that much or something. (laughs) But seriously, if you need help, we're here for you. We don't care if you have our cell phone numbers, all right? We want you to know Jesus. And will you want to grow in Christ? You with me on that? So what's your step? What's your step? Let's pray together. Father, you know each person individually. and You know what each person needs. Some of them need some healing from some things. Some of them need some compassion and peace. Some of us need to make some changes. Some of us just need you. And so stir in our hearts and minds in these moments. Take us to a new level with Yourself and let us engage the Gospel like we've never engaged it before. You are our all in all. You are our hope. Give us the confidence we need to make the changes knowing You're empowered. Give us the hope that we need in order to make it to heaven to know salvation. Because, Lord, to fear You is to say You are awesome, is to say You are powerful We are minuscule, but to love you says you take the minuscule and you make it yours and you love us anyway. God, let, uh, let that be our motivation. Change us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.